Welcome to DreamSpeak. Since we started the podcast, we can't help noticing how much wisdom we're gaining from our community. As it grows, we're learning more and more about dreaming, the dream world, and how to work effectively with dreams. We realize there are many of you listening right now who also have incredible wisdom to share. You may not think it's incredible, but we think it is. Just listen to these episodes. There is so much meaning in these conversations. So please take this as your personal invitation to have a conversation with us by emailing contact at dreamspeak.us. Sending us a dream doesn't obligate you to appear on the show. We'll work with you, discuss your dream, and if we decide together to move forward, your dream can be featured. This is our guest episode with Eris Klein. Life is an artistic medium. Eris is a talented artist who frequently works with material from her dreams. As Eris says, don't hide your light under a bushel. Come out and let it shine. Again, the email is contact at dreamspeak.us. Send us a dream today and let's learn from one another. A few times during the episode, the word dharma will come up. It's a Buddhist term for one's life purpose. It has other meanings that are really interesting philosophically, but that's the sense in which we'll be using it. By the end of the episode, you're going to know a lot more about Eris's dharma, how it relates to her dreams, and why ending up as an artist was all but inevitable for her. By the way, Eris made the cover art for her episode. It's beautiful and a little mysterious, and it gives the viewer a feeling of what her recurring dream is like. Check it out. Hi, dreamers. Thank you for learning with us today on DreamSpeak. I'm Rika. And I'm Thomas. And this is the podcast about dreams that teaches you a complete system to help you listen to your dreams and get the guidance they're providing you every day. Our guest on today's podcast is Eris Klein. She's a professional artist, illustrator, and multimedia teacher, and she has been for over 20 years. She's illustrated for Hay House, Llewellyn Worldwide, Psychology Today, and she's currently working on a book of illustrated dream stories. Welcome to DreamSpeak, Eris. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I also want to mention your website is erisklein.com, E-R-I-S-K-L-E-I-N.com. Eris, what are people going to find there? They'll find lots of beautiful artwork, very dreamy. Some of it is based on my dreams. I do have a few art classes and tutorials, and they'll just see a plethora of visual stimulation <laughs> to inspire them. We absolutely love Eris's art, and we highly recommend just taking a trip there and see if it resonates with you. Um, Eris, you've been an artist for a really long time, and I know that dreams are a very rich source of material for you. Mm -hmm. Yes, they sure are. So I think we should just start at the beginning. Um, you have some really unique depth experiences around dreaming and waking and the union of the two. And so uh, would you like to share a little bit about the way that dreams have been a part of you from very early on? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, dreams have always been a part of my life. As a child, for me, dreaming and waking were just one unbroken stream of consciousness. Um, I really didn't see the two as separate. For me, dreaming 
and waking consciousness was really just two parts of an undivided whole or an undivided soul, really. So um, as a kid, I often had out-of-body experiences um, where I would kind of slip out in the dreaming and and see future events. Um, no, nothing really major, usually just like the family trip of where I was going. <laughs> I would get to see, you know, it ahead of time. And uh, so deja vu was often a part of my life. Um, but I viewed dreams as spiritual, as wise, as healing, and a place to work out my thoughts, um, emotions, ideas, and also a place to be playful and creative without the limitations. I know this is hard to believe for a lot of people, but for me, not a single night of my life have I woken up and not remembered my dreams. So I think I'm, I'm probably unique in that way. I think wow, that is amazing, Eris. I've never met anybody who remembered their dreams every single night. Yeah, well, it's like asking somebody, well, do you remember that yesterday happened? And they'd say, of course. I have so many curiosities about that. One thing is, you said that you can remember the times even before you were bored. I tend to not talk about that because I know this is a, a very unique experience for people, but I remember a time of just a blissful time of when I was just all love and light. And I remember coming into this world and I remember being conscious even as a baby. So, so it's a unique experience. But when you think about people who've had near-death experiences, they too experience that love and light. It's just that I remembered it before I came in. I just never shut it down. Um, so I think my perspective coming in was just much more expansive and, than probably the culture I came into where people don't talk about dreams as much or are not aware of them. But I've been really conscientious of that because I know for many people, they're, they find that very strange or unusual or dreams are useless. At 12, about 12, I started realizing that I was different and I just decided to not share this part of myself. And I couldn't cut that part of myself off. So what I did is I started dream journaling. And that was sort of my sacred place where I could go and record my dreams, which were the second half of my life that I could talk about in my journal secretly. And so by now, as a much older woman, <laughs> I have hundreds of boxes of dream journals and thousands of dreams. <laughs> Um, wow. And now I'm a little bit more willing to talk about them, but I was going to do it through a book until I saw your podcast. And then I thought, why not talk <laughs> about it too? Okay, just open up the doors and start talking about this stuff instead of hiding my light under a bushel all the time. Well, Eris, I remember we met in uh, Crestone, right? And we started talking about dreams when we first met each other and that was our connection people don't understand the subtext you know that we've got listeners now even as far away as europe crestone is about the funkiest little town in all of colorado and maybe you know among a list of really funky strange places <laughs> in the whole united states and it just is like this spiritual magnet or vortex that just draws in spiritual seekers in the most bizarre interesting way and just causes the most fascinating encounters and i've had really powerful dreams when i'm you know it's just got its own unique power and its own energy it does it's definitely 
very high vibrational. And it's the first time I really felt like I was at home when I was there. I was like, I feel at home for the first time in my life. It's just amazing wow. there. And I only got to stay there briefly, unfortunately, but oh well. <laughs> I, I do remember that. And then we did go to your meetup group. To just further connect and be able to talk about dreams talk and support dreams this again. important work that you were doing. Yeah. And you were having us do some illustrations too. And that was new for me. Oh, yeah. That's right. I put out a box of crayons for everybody and told them to draw symbols and so forth and feelings from their dreams. Mm -hmm. And also, you were running a dream group and I came to your dream group. So, hey, yeah. So, can we just pedal back a little bit to when you were talking about the way it, was like to you to come into this world and how you had such a unity consciousness and really no feeling of difference between waking and dreaming. That is such a special and unique thing. And plus, I'm just fascinated because that's not an experience that I've had. You know, I can imagine what that was like. I wonder whether you've ever reflected on the possibility that that could have been sort of a spiritual gift that you've cultivated for many lifetimes, sort of that mastery of seeing the spectrum of consciousness. Well, see, that's thinking in a linear fashion because I think this is a strange thing and I, I thought I would bring it up in my dream books is that when I first was born, I really didn't feel like I had had any past life. So um, it wasn't until 12 when I had a very interesting dream <laughs> where suddenly I felt my consciousness fractured into many lifetimes suddenly. And what's interesting is 12 is when I really felt like I had landed on the planet. Before then, I always saw my life as, as a dream and that I could leave at any time. I felt free to leave here anytime. At night, I traveled to so many other places that when I woke up, Earth just seemed like one other place of many places. And so the sense of idea of lives, I didn't relate to that at all. In fact, I don't think I related to being human <laughs> until I was 12. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I think I've had all these lives. And then I thought, well, how did that happen now? Maybe it's nonlinear. Maybe it happens when you decide to really buy into the whole human thing for <laughs> then. Maybe you don't have any lives. So I probably it felt like I lived like hundreds of lives and then and then somehow was wise. But I don't know. I think I was wise before I lived the lives. All of those lives could have been happening at once or maybe something else more complex. And it it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Time just doesn't flow the way that we think yes. it does. Yeah, they don't have to happen right before. I mean, it was like I hit this wall and fractured into a whole bunch of different lives. But before, I was just a whole being. I just felt like a whole being. But it's an interesting story. But I, I don't think past lives, once you're living outside of time and your perspective is not time and space bound, then it doesn't matter when the lives happen. It's just like a bunch of movies on a shelf. I mean, you can randomly pick them whenever and you've already looked at them before and it's just like your fifth time around. <laughs> They're all there. It's that they're all is, was, and will be. That's what I call it. All your lives have been, will be, and are. And it's just a matter of whether you decide to pull them off the shelf and look at them. I have a very heart-centered response to that. I really relate to it. Um, I identify 
with the way that you look at our spirit, the way that you kind of see the human experience because of the amazing things that you can remember, recall, re-experience. You know, what I was thinking is a lot of people are traumatized early and anything like that will take you away from your wholeness. For me, I, I didn't speak till I was three and I didn't want to because I saw words as defining my reality. But a lot of people come in and their parents are instantly trying to get them assimilated into the the social structure. Um, and I understand because they want them to be functional within the social structure. But the current social structure also closes out a lot of a child's whole sense of self and their spiritual experiences. So I think a lot of people get kind of broken into the system really early. And maybe I was blessed because my mom was just quiet and loving and let me be. And I spent a lot of time out in nature and nobody forced me to have to fit into some kind of role right away. Maybe I was lucky or unlucky, as some people would look at, because I'm not perfectly adapted to um, being aggressive <laughs> towards money. So I guess it depends on how you look at it. Well, all that matters is how you look at it. Do you feel that you're lucky? Yeah, I think I'm blessed. I don't think it's easy for anybody, though. I think we all want a sense of wholeness, and that's one thing the collective conscious or earth or whatever, it challenges us to come back to wholeness. So I, th I think being physical is challenging, um, but it's also beautiful. I mean, it's also beautiful. It has sunsets and little bunny rabbits. And but for Thomas and I, we need to regularly be out in nature. And that's one of the reasons we live where we do, because that helps to ground us and connect us with the earth and help us feel like we're a part of it that we're here, that this is home for us right now. Yeah. And we need that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think nature is definitely one of the most beautiful things about this world. <laughs> Humans have somehow lost their way, lost their connection to that. But not all. Not, I think probably everybody feels a little bit of that sense of connection when they go out in nature. But yeah, I agree with you. Nature is very healing. And I like being around it too. A little preview of a symbol that we'll discuss when we talk about the dream that you brought to share is the way that we look at forests, trees, the woods, natural settings, like if you dream about the image of going camping. <laughs> but the way that we look at the universal energy of that is basically like the manifestation of you uniting your subconscious and your conscious parts of your mind. And so it helps put you in touch with the vast power of your subconscious when you're dreaming about nature or a wilderness area. And what I found is the philosophical implication of that for many dreams is that it recharges you, right? To make your conscious mind a bit smaller and background that conscious aspect of your mind, relax it, and then get into, you know, space of the dream forest, so to speak. And then I found when awake, for me at least, it's exactly the same thing. So it's like from my dreams, I learned the closest thing that I can think of, if I were a phone to plug in myself into my charger would be to go on a long hike or go camping for a few days. It's like I'm plugging in to this vast reservoir of energy that I really can't live without. 
That's a beautiful way to put it. I, I love that. There was a big part of my life where I just couldn't wait to go to sleep because I found the waking world just so difficult. I mean, people are fighting and there's wars and there's so much, there's so much stress and pain. But to me, going to sleep was like going back to spirit and just residing in that wonderful energy. So is it still like that for you? Do you still look forward to going to sleep so that you can enter that dream world again? How is that for you? You know, I definitely always look forward to it. Different places, though, have different energy. So it's more like in Creston, dreaming was just awesome. When I was living in Sterling out on the eastern plains of Colorado and there was like cattle plants nearby and a prison nearby. <laughs> I had very disturbing dream. Didn't look forward to dreaming. It, it was, I had some very, very difficult dreams of meeting souls that were just very lost. And actually I had my first experience with ghosts. <laughs> I guess you could call them. I just call them consciousnesses that out of body consciousness. Their bodies have passed on, but they couldn't move onto the light because they just had such tragedy in their life. They got stuck here. And I had never met with that before, and I didn't look forward to it. Um, I found it really scary and disturbing and depressing. And and I tried to be a healer, and uh, there was just too many of them. And I was like, you know, I have to get up and teach in the mornings. I have a job in the day. And every night I had a job being a social worker for lost souls. And I was like, I got to get out of here. Well, that, that was the job for somebody else. Yeah, I was like, this is not my calling. And so I'm really hypersensitive to location of where I live. I would say I didn't look forward to dreams during that time at all. They were difficult. It felt like I had worked all night long at a really depressing job and then had to wake up and go to another job. What you're saying is that because of your facility with dreaming, you would encounter souls while asleep. It wasn't just like a message dream or, or one of the dreams that we help people learn to interpret. These were actual encounters with other people, essentially. I think there's different levels of dreams. And I think there are sometimes where you're actually meeting other souls or there's inserts from higher guides that are speaking to you to help you. And sometimes it's people that need help. Just to clarify, my experience with that is very limited. We definitely recognize that there are different levels of consciousness and different kinds of night experiences. We've had encounters with entities that seem to mean to do me harm. They're, they're of an ilk that's very hard for me to understand, but I know that it's happening. And you know, these experiences are clearly not what we call message dreams. Yes. They're not symbolic in my mind. There's just lots of different types of dreams. When you're asleep, your spirit is allowed to open up and receive other energies as well as deal with your own stuff that you're working with. So there's so much that can happen during the night, but a lot of people aren't aware of it. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, I guess the question was though, do I always look forward to sleeping? And I actually do, but that was one time where I really didn't. Do you think it was because you were living near the prison? Is that why? Yeah, I didn't were... even know I was living near a prison. And I even did things like someone said, well, call on Archangel Michael to assist you. And I did that. And he came and he said, 
no way this is your you deal with it but but it is interesting at least i i saw and witnessed it and i have a great appreciation for people that can do social work or whether it's real people or spirit people because it takes a hearty soul to do that do you think that it's possible that archangel michael was trying to indicate that you're ready to confront these issues and then you have free will to decide whether you want to do this or not. Yeah, it could have been like people that throw their babies into a pool of water and say sink or swim. But really, they're there. Oh, if you're really going to drown, they'll pull you out. But they want you to fully experience it and find yeah. that inner strength. I guess you knew you were ready and you could No, it. because I ran. <laughs> I left. <laughs> Well, I mean, but Steve, I wouldn't necessarily characterize that as not handling it. Yeah. Right? That was your decision. Yeah. You just decided this isn't for me. This isn't my gift. This isn't not what right I now. What to do. But now you're aware of it. And there was probably some reason you were supposed to be aware of it. Yeah, you're right. I like that idea I, because things do happen for a reason. So, and it has given me a lot to think about since then about how do you help those souls move on and how can we assist all of humanity to evolve, even those that got stuck here. <laughs> mm-hmm. These souls coming to you, maybe in the future, there will be somebody that you care about that you need to help. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be. Well, and yeah. it would probably be better if I ever have to deal with that to d- deal with it nicely, because I ended up creating a, out of energy a vacuum and just started sucking up souls and sending them to another universe. <laughs> it was like a... I got to get rid of you guys. You're driving me crazy. And I started coming up with wow. different ways to like export them out of my house. I have a question. Why does it so often seem like I get my messages right before I wake up? Some of the most important messages are purposely staged to happen right before you wake up. And that's either your higher self or your guides or both are working for doing that. That's my belief. There's this beautiful painting by the painter Alex Gray, and I think that all of our listeners should do a little Google search if they've never seen the artwork of Alex Gray. Mm-hmm. He has a painting of the actual act of painting, getting hand-over-hand support from one of his guides. That one's my favorite of his. I have had a lot of faith in my greater self to assist me to come up with the message I need. So sometimes I go to bed, I, I ask for help, create a question of something I want to know. And then while I'm dreaming, I actually try to stay out of the way and let my greater self or spirit come in and bring me that higher perspective. I guess the only way I craft it is I craft the question and then I try to get out of the way so I can hear the answer. We do that a lot. We ask a question, we set an intention and... We always get an answer in some form. It's whether we can decipher the answer and figure it out, but we always get an answer. And for you, does that answer come right away or that night, or does it sometimes take several nights or a week? Well, it depends. Sometimes it comes the next uh, morning, but sometimes it'll take longer, and sometimes we'll get a message and we'll ask for further clarity to get another message because it's not a complete answer. Or we don't fully understand it. Right. We've got a podcast called The Return to the White Containment Tower because it's a companion to a dream that we analyzed together 
on our podcast called The White Containment mm-hmm. Tower. And months passed, but I know in my soul that this return to the White Containment Tower dream is a direct follow-up with the further information I needed. And it's about very core issues for me. Both of those dreams are. And so, like you were saying earlier about nonlinear time, yeah. I think that's a really important consideration because I found that the soul is just infinitely patient. You know, my higher self or greater self, if you want to call it that, will help me understand and comprehend these things very patiently. And if it takes a long period to get that kind of follow-up that I've incubated or intended to receive, I'll get it eventually. You know, it will come to me when the timing is right. Yeah, it's always working towards your higher good. And that's a great wonder. It is always, our soul's always working for our higher good and our dreams are always for our higher, higher good. Yes, I agree with you on that. Because your dreams are where your soul speaks to you. And the symbols are the language that it often uses because it's talking about much higher, broader concepts. And and learning how to decipher them takes time and patience. <laughs> it's great. That's a really good segue for you to start sharing the dream that you brought because it's a recurring dream. And it's a dream that you did have over a period of years. Yeah. And I do believe that repetitive dreams are definitely those deeper core issues that we're working on. And that's why they keep coming up because we haven't worked through whatever that issue we haven't heard or deciphered the message and figured it out yet. I think an important message for our listeners and for us to just remind ourselves is we really try to be as gentle as we can with that truth. Because the way our society is, it's always just everything's urgent. You know, everything needs to be now, now, now. And so we have found that it is true that if you receive repeated messages about the same theme, it's because in your waking life that has yet to be addressed or it hasn't been addressed fully. But that doesn't mean there's anything wrong. And it's generally a much larger message. um, And that's why it takes time because it's a big one for you. There's a big lesson within it. So tell us about this dream, Eris. What dream have you brought? Okay, us? my big dream. <laughs> okay, so this is a repetitive dream I've had throughout my life. And it does change forms, but it has the same feeling and some of the same symbols, reoccurring symbols. And it always has the same, what I call a feeling tone, because it it not just feels the same, it kind of resonates the same way each time, even if the images change slightly. So one of my most persistent repetitive dreams is what I call summer camp, um, because it's often at a summer camp. It's like the last day of summer camp, and it's time to pack up and go home. The whole time, I didn't even realize that I was living in summer camp or that I even had a home. I thought, isn't summer camp my home? So in summer camp, I live fairly rudimentary, and I live a humble life with other campers. We're all piled into dark, rustic cabins in groups of maybe six to eight campers, and we sleep on old metal bunk beds. I always like the the bunk bed on the top. That's the one I always go for. We eat together from a large cafeteria with whatever is on the menu. No one thinks to question it. We're just grateful to have the food. There is no choices or even a desire for it. There is no shopping. There is no money. There is no gluttony or material desires. There's no hierarchy. 
Everyone is provided for, and we live simply and unadorned. So life is very simple and humble. In some dreams, it's a summer camp, and in others, it's a monastery. And occasionally, when I was younger, it was a prison camp, and sometimes that would return in like my 20s and stuff. But it all feels like the same place. It always feels somewhat dark, but with a gentle dim lighting in the distance within the woods, where I feel um, drawn to sort of a lost magic that is lingering nearby. But always I have no sense of home, and yet here I am suddenly being asked to pack up and get ready to go home. Home to where? What is this home? I have no recollection of home or a family. But suddenly I realize I have, when I'm asked to pack up, I'm like, I I think I have nothing. But then I realize, oh my gosh, I've got so much stuff and I feel so burdened by it. Um, And I realize I've lived there at the summer camp for so long. And so I'm trying to sort out what I should let go and what I should keep. And it's just such a burden (laughs) and stressful for me. And then also, this is actually more recent, I discover within the last couple of years, it's like I discover on the last day that there's an art room at the summer camp and that there's been one there the whole time. And then I was like, well, why didn't anyone ever make paintings while I was here? Indeed, the art room was never used by anyone. And I feel angry and frustrated at myself that I didn't use it. And I think, well, perhaps if others would have joined me in it, I would have felt more motivated to create, but I didn't. If this was a summer camp, it sure wasn't filled with fun, and I realized that I felt so unmotivated and lonely there. But I still didn't know where home was or where I was returning to or why am I in a summer camp. When did these dreams start, and are you still having them or not? So they started when I was very young, probably as early as five or six years old, and the last one I had was probably a month ago. And then after I talked with you guys, I had all these amazing revelations and I haven't dreamt of it since. And now that doesn't mean I might not dream of it again, but I bet that it's going to change because I think I, I've had some insight into it now. Wonderful. Yeah, that is really great. I'm curious, you had said in our previous conversations that one of the things that really grabbed you and kind of really anchored this recurring dream in your dream life was actually learning about the Holocaust. And so you were saying that you actually got exposed to the reality that that horrific atrocity had taken place when you were very young. Yeah. My dad liked war movies. And and so I was like five and he was watching a World War II movie. And then I learned about the Holocaust. And I found that deeply traumatic and disturbing to me that other human beings would treat people like that. And I think I've struggled with that in my heart throughout my life. I think I felt like the Holocaust was an example of the most dark that human beings could do to others. It's only natural to have a really long and very profound dharmic struggle with that truth about this plane of existence because you shared with us earlier that at least when you were younger, if not even to today, you have the ability to visit places and planes where that kind of mistreatment is really not characteristic of that plane of existence. Yeah, it's definitely not what I 
feel like I came from. I feel like I came from light and love. And then I'm exposed to how dark humanity's history and still, even to this day, how cruel other people can be to other people. Um, and it didn't have anything to do with being Jewish because I'm not, but I'm, because I can have an imagination and because I feel that everybody's connected, I could empathize with the horror and the pain that those people had to go through. And it just shocked me that other human beings could treat people that way. And that's what started this repetitive dream. Originally, the dream wasn't summer camp. It was more like concentration camp. And life was extremely bleak when I had that dream. I think my consciousness was working through that pain, trying to work through and to resolve that pain that human beings have had to suffer, that have been thrown into concentration camps and the utter loss of hope and light. Eventually, the dream turned more into a summer camp, but not like a fun summer camp. It was just like a place of being. And I do believe that the summer camp is really reflective of my soul because I'm not very materialistic on a very deep level. I'm not into um, there being hierarchies and power struggles and money and um, things like that. And I've always related way more with victims than I have with um, autocrats. I, I really don't relate to them at all or understand their consciousness except that they must be very, very small spiritually <laughs> to be able to harm others because we're all connected. And what we do to others, we do to ourselves. So there you go. They have a long way to go. But eventually I, it evolved. I think I just couldn't keep holding on to that immense pain. And I had to move on. It's not like I found the answer to it. I had to eventually not be swallowed up by it and stuck by it. So it started to turn into a summer camp, and then sometimes it would even be a monastery. The, the monks take a vow of poverty, very streamlined existence. So that seems to be a place where my soul tends to resonate most. The, the thing that stirs me is when I have to leave it, and I realize I've kind of acquired a lot of the stuff of life. And usually when I'm going through my stuff, it's like little favorite memories and trinkets and uh, family photos. So they feel like, wow, how did I get so much stuff? And now I have to pack it up. And I'm like, why can't I just stay where I am? I don't like what. So so that's definitely something in the dream I felt that was pushing me. And then I'm like, why didn't I ever use the art room? And I'm like, well, nobody else was using it. <laughs> you know, So I didn't feel motivated in this place to use it. And that brings me to making some big discoveries about how I'm actually living my waking life. What I'm realizing is I've been hiding my light under a bushel a good portion of my life. I mean, I do my art, but I don't talk about my dreams or spiritual experiences. I keep those pretty hidden within symbols within my art. Maybe what the dream is leading me to go is that the light isn't just in the forest. It needs to be brought into where I'm at. So I thought, well, why don't I start teaching classes in the art room? Or why don't I start just making paintings? Maybe others are just waiting for somebody else to make a painting and start bringing creativity and light into the dream. And that home is really wherever you are. Home is where you make it 
summer camp's very temporary, I realize. I think that when my perspective about life is that this life is just temporary. I've always, I, I've never been afraid of death. I'm just like, this life's temporary. Can't wait to go back to the love and light, you know, and be an angel again. But that's not claiming my full life because I'm here. I must be here for a reason. So I should make this my home. Home should be wherever my hat is, you know, home should be wherever I happen to be. So home is wherever my consciousness seems to be. And my consciousness is right now here on this planet. So maybe I should start living that way. Maybe that's the broader message. I know that you're right. And I love the ownership that you've taken over this interpretation. I feel like you've had really deep insights since we began discussing this dream. When you first shared this dream with us, I thought to myself, okay, so the dichotomy between being away at summer camp or being cloistered in a monastery versus home, which she kind of conveyed the energy of off in the woods, this beautiful and somewhat magical glow, but not a strong sense of a pull. You don't have a strong sense of pull towards home. So that dichotomy from being away at summer camp and versus being home, I thought to myself, well, that probably has to do with Eris feeling less at home here on this plane than in some of these other amazing spaces that you described for us today. But now I think that it's less of a split and less of a duality than that. And it's more to do with what you just said. It's kind of about giving yourself the guidance that if you can meditate, center yourself and deepen your groundedness where you are, then that's a new spiritual chapter for you. Not necessarily that the summer camp strictly represents being here on earth right now and not that home strictly represents what might happen after you die or where you might go after you leave this body. But since you have the facility to experience both of those places while you're still here, it's more about finding the joy and the purpose in where you are, whatever your state of consciousness is. And I'm waiting for there to be more motivation and inspiration in there. Why wait? Why don't I just start? Yeah, that to be human nature. You know what I noticed when I went back in the dream was just doing art for myself wasn't as motivational as helping others to tap into their own creativity as if I thought, well, why don't I invite others in the camp and share with them how to paint? And then we'll all paint together. We'll all discover this wonderful delight in this kind of start place and bring back that magic. Well, you've been a teacher for so long and you do share your art and help other people to express themselves through art, but maybe there's another way that you want to approach that. Well, Rika, you always have some really good insights because it is true. My day life is nothing like that dream. I mean, I am teaching people to be creative. I've been a teacher for like 12 years or more teaching multimedia and and art but somehow on a deeper level I'm not feeling it and according to that dream and I think maybe let me think about this I have to think about it I'll say this much like when I teach in public schools it is a joy to help people and I do feel really good about it but I always have to 
stay sort of cloaked and hidden as far as bringing my full self out. I mean, I can't talk about lucid dreams. I can't talk about spirit. I can't talk about mystical experiences. <laughs> so I, I limit myself. Yeah, unfortunately, that's how it has to be in the public school system. Thomas can tell you he's a teacher in the public school system. and I do the same. And I want to respect others, and I want to respect their viewpoints and their belief systems. But there's another part of me that always feels like I'm always so respecting others that I'm not respecting myself. So I think maybe like doing my dream books that that I'm working on where I'm illustrating my own experiences is a great way to put out into the world my own voice and my own perspectives without stepping on any toes. I can't wait to see that book. And also doing this podcast is a great format for expressing myself. So that's why I was so excited that I saw you guys were doing this. We feel just the same way. I mean, we've talked about that from a more global perspective. You know, it's, and it's really putting ourselves out there. And it's not very comfortable, honestly. It's not equal. No, it isn't. I almost wasn't going to do this podcast because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, repetitive dreams are so deep to the core of who a person is sometimes. And I thought, oh, do I really want to talk about this? But I think it's important to show how dreams are really our, our souls kind of talking to us. When we were preparing to launch DreamSpeak, we knew that we wanted to help people and we made a very conscious decision that we would need to be vulnerable ourselves so that people could see that it's possible to do this extremely vulnerable work. Yeah, it is vulnerable, but it's also very beautiful. I agree. And the more that we practice putting ourselves out there, the more comfortable it becomes. We know that a lot of people may not be interested in dreams or care about dreams, but the people who do, they'll find the resources that they need and the people that they can resonate with and learn from. Just so like we did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the best approach because it's like when the student is ready, the teacher is there. And oh, I was just thinking, think of Alex Gray. I mean, like, I think revealing myself is like, I'm scared. And then you look at Alex Gray and he's all out there with wild millions of eyeballs. He's very daring to get out there and really show his perspective and experiences through his art. So I'm glad you mentioned him earlier. So just to go back to the dream, you'd mentioned to us, Eris, that when we started interpreting this dream, that you got a lot of new insight about it. Can you tell us a little bit about how that transpired? It was like a magical moment. I don't know where it came from, but as soon as I had shared it with you guys, then the following days after that, it was just like I started um, seeing things in it and unpacking information and understanding the dream so much better. I mean, I've had written that dream many times and thought about it, but it was almost like on the collective conscious level, your insights were informing me and helping me to have those bigger insights. And I always call that like the internet instead of the, 
you know, sort of like the inside net that we connect to. I love that. To the collective conscious. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. You guys, you guys rock in the unconscious world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what happened was you sent us your dream and then we had to take a trip and we were on a plane and we had several hours that we could look over your dream and we were discussing it and we talked about it and we came up with what we felt was a likely interpretation a likely interpretation what we could get out of it from what you had written and then we got a message back from you and what you had written was exactly what we had discussed discussed and so i just find that really cool i couldn't have done it without you (laughs) i just swear I was definitely connected to whatever you guys were energetically putting out there. I was picking up on it, and I was like having all these epiphanies. It all worked out the way it was supposed to. For any future participants or listeners that work with us on interpreting, just share. Don't hold back. If you're getting an intuition, you're probably starting to unlock your dream. And just put it out there. You're on the right track. Yeah, and I think that the act of putting it out and asking for help, and like you said, we're all connected. We're all in touch with each other on some level, and we do have that ability to connect in that way. Well, I always think of Jung's idea of the collective conscious, and I really think that (laughs) there's definitely a collective conscious, and sharing it sometimes helps you tap into that. It did for me. I was surprised. I don't think you guys were intending for that to happen either. It was a surprise for all of us. Not like we were trying to beam you these messages. (laughs) (laughs) Or like I was listening in, I heard you. They still got beam. (laughs) Yeah, they still got the beam, whether I meant to or not. (laughs) But in a way, by saying the dream, sharing it, there was an intention an unsaid intention of me and a desire to understand it. So that that helped too. I think you were absolutely right. In these recurring dreams, it really doesn't seem that important. All the people that are there, they're kind of far in the background in these dreams, aren't they? Yeah, that's true. And you mention it. Yeah, it's you being the dreamer. That's how we term that presence. It's kind of where you're at in your life and the comprehensive view of who you are. You're inhabiting yourself and participating in these environments. And then the settings are essentially three. There's a summer camp, there's a prison camp, and there's a monastery. And you've said there might be some other slight variations, but I think those three, as a contrast, are very instructive. Is that pretty fair to say that that captures the settings of the stream? Yeah. So the way that we look at the universal meanings of these settings is a summer camp is a place of growth and development for young people learning, essentially. It's like school, but a lot more unstructured and a lot more self-directed with a heavy dose of nature in there. Well, I spent a lot of summers in summer camps out in the mountains, and I always loved them. Like, I never got homesick. I'm sure my parents were like, yeah, she's out of the house. And for me, I was like, yeah, I'm out of the house. Well, other kids would be crying for home, and I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, go horseback riding we can make little huts in the woods and we can run around all wild i was like this is the greatest thing ever i liked nature and i was 
obviously very independent. So I found summer camp just a perfect little place for me. So I think a few qualities that you just mentioned can also be included in the way that we would interpret summer camp in the stream. And we always tell people that it's really important to simultaneously combine the universal meaning of a space, like say learning or development, and those personal colors that you just painted, right? So maybe add to that qualities of fostering independence, of freedom, of integration with nature, all those things in your view are probably symbolic of summer camp in a message stream. And so, like you said, it's a perfect place for you, but the summer and your recurring dreams aren't exactly a perfect place for you, are they? No, they aren't. They're kind of stark. This contrast between what you experienced in waking life and the symbolic summer camp is there to be instructive. That contrast is trying to get something across to you using an emotional vibration. What do you think that might be? In those dreams, there is often this feeling of independence and on an adventure, but also being sent there for some reason. Like I'm somehow comforted when I'm there and I'm looking at the other kids and going, they're not as comforted. Like the beds are hard for them and they feel scared. And somehow I have this other inner light that's comforting me while I'm there, even though the outside looks very stark. We put a lot of stock in the power of our emotions. What we remember from our emotions of a dream to help us interpret it, it's that whole idea of the contrast between your inner light in your waking life and this world which you have to inhabit and where you have to live right now. I think just knowing that there's people in pain in the world made this whole world look like to me a very stark place. For me, being really creative, I'm aware of my dreams, I'm very in touch with nature. I've found life in the waking to be kind of stark like that. It's like, why isn't there world peace? I mean, we had the Beatles talking about love. No, like people have been talking about love forever and still we don't get it. Even if I have enough food and I have shelter, it's like, if one of us isn't free, all of us aren't free. First learning at five that there's wars and people kill people and people torture people and imprison people, that, that's the starkness. Even though I've been blessed to not be in a war-torn country or a war-torn time period in the U.S., I sense that pain and my heart goes out to it. And it makes it feel like this is not a fun summer camp here in my waking life either. So the actual three-dimensional places that you're inhabiting in your dreams, from the monastery to the prison camp to the summer camp, they're all stark in their environment for that reason. That's kind of almost representative of your emotional boundaries and your surroundings on this plane of existence. That's what the summer camp, the stark summer camp, prison camp, monastery, that's where my actual emotional, energetic self is. And the triune contrast between these three environments seems to be different facets of you looking at and learning about life. So that quality that you just described doesn't go away. That's there. That's a relationship that you have with this world around you and the way that you look at it. I like that you said relationship. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, that's my relationship with this world. In a way, I need to work on that relationship. Well, that's, that's part of the message here, isn't it? Yeah. What a way to put it. 
I need to play with that in my mind and think about that. I really like that idea that it's it's how I'm relating to this world and to work on that relationship I have with it. If you could change it freely, if this wasn't such a dharmic, difficult, and onerous issue for you, what would it look like? Well, the first word that came into my mind was service. I know what the love and light looks like because I remember it coming into this world. And I need to assist others to get in touch with that and to bring that into their lives. One of the things in the summer camp is there's no creativity. And creativity to me is so much about the divine imagination that has come up with all these wild ideas like planets and stars and crazy animals. And helping people to tap into creativity is helping people to tap into themselves. I actually have some amazing creative techniques to open one's consciousness, um, both in the waking and in the dreaming, that I've used throughout my life. And um, I was talking to my husband about it, and he's like, some of these exercises I've never even heard of before. Why don't you write a journal with prompts and or teach some classes with that? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm always trying to fit within the regular school system. Why don't I break out of it and teach these unique things? And I think the only reason I haven't is I, because I have to be a pioneer with it. Let <laughs> me waiting for somebody else to start. <laughs> I should just start. Yeah, where have we seen that theme? Yeah, where have we seen <laughs> the theme? That art room's not getting used in the dream. It's that time to open a class and invite people in. Sounds good. I'm curious, when it took the form of being in the monastery, were those later in your life? Were there those more recent? Those were more uh, during stages of my life, like living in Crestone, where the energy of the surrounding place was more high vibrational, mm -hmm. where the energy, the time, the space allowed for me to relax and open up and reach a much more higher place in my consciousness. But I did, have, for a while, really believe that I had been a Tibetan monk before. I don't know what to fully think about reincarnation anymore because I'm not sure it's linear. <laughs> there has been a part of me that really resonates with Tibetan philosophies, and there's also Tibetan dream yoga I really find a resonance with. So I think that's where it turned into a monastery, where in times in my life where I was feeling that sense of more upliftment from my environment in my stage of life. But still in the dream, it was bleak in the monastery. and There was a vow of poverty, but it was a very clean feeling of non-attachment in the monastery dreams because people live so simply too. Um, and there wasn't like a whole materialistic consumer culture going on. People had more time to delve within themselves and connect spiritually but I did hit a boundary where I felt that I still desired creativity. So maybe that was the bleakness. It's actually not a judgment of right or wrong to live a totally streamlined life like that. I actually really resonate with it and respect it. But I think there's another part of my soul that wants to be creative. I mean, that just is creative, that has the desire and need, and it's part of my calling. And unfortunately, or fortunately, creativity involves materials. And it, which they have to become materialistic to a certain degree. 
as you discussed this dream with us, you voiced the theme of motivation and finding motivation a handful of times. And I'm really getting curious about how deep that issue of motivation goes for you. When I was really young, I didn't talk until I was like three and a half or something. Like I was perfectly at peace because I saw words just defining the world and I liked being undefined and at peace. I was like this really happy, smiling Buddha baby. And I was at peace with that. And then when I grew up, I was still really peaceful with just not being a part of the world and just being a peaceful observer and experiencing the joy of nature. And then I remember when I was like 19 working at a art supply store, the older gentleman that I worked with said, you're the type of person that you could sit under a tree all day long and you would just be happy. And I was like, you know what? You got my soul completely. Like, I just want to sit under a tree and be happy because I know how amazing and beautiful the universe is. I felt so connected to it that I was totally fulfilled. But one of the things is then there's like this thing where you are in a world where action and there's people and there's problems. And what are you going to do? Sit under a tree the whole time? You know, it's, and I think about, I don't think sitting under a tree being happy the whole time is lack of motivation. It's just that you're so at one with the universe. It's okay, but you aren't participating. And maybe that's fine, but I know like the story of Yogananda, he wanted to live in Tibet because it felt so awesome, just like Crestone. Like, I just want to plug into the universe and just stay there. But life had him go to the U.S. and bring his philosophies there. And sometimes, especially in the beginning, deal with a lot of discrimination and bad attitudes and people fearing him and not liking him until he could connect with the people that were looking for the kind of information he had. And then it was just brilliant. But if he had stayed in Tibet, all happy, maybe he wouldn't have connected with those people or brought those philosophies forward. So I don't know. I think there's a part of me that could sit under a tree as long as I'm connected to spirit. I'd be like, let the world go by. I'm happy. Who cares if nobody else is? <laughs> so I don't know. But I don't think that's what my life path is. That's not why you were. And like, other places that you remember, but there's a reason that you're a human on earth right now. Before you're born and after you leave, it's all love and light and it's all awesome. But then you, you know, you're born and you come into this ball of clay and it's hard and it's like, oh my God, there's an obstacle there. And no, another one. If you look at life as an artistic medium, like clay or watercolor or oil paint or a big old giant crayon, then it is an opportunity to express your soul and create some really cool things. And in any artistic medium, there's going to be limitations, but that's what makes it so amazing is because you're like an infinite being, but you're working within limitations, but it's the limitations that actually give definition to the form. So if you're working in clay, you can express yourself in certain ways. If you're working a hard stone, there's going to be more maybe angles or I don't know, you could smooth out or whatever, but it's more difficult. There's more resistance and yet there's its unique beauty. And and that's what this life is. It's It's got resistances and that's the beauty of it. It's a co-creation. 
between your soul and the obstacle. If you had to recap what you think the primary message for you from this dream is, what would you say? Be here now. Home isn't often some distance. It's wherever you're at. And so work with it and bring in your light and your beauty to that space, whatever that space is. I think that's the message for me. Beautiful. And I think we're on parallel journeys because we've really decided to try to put ourselves out there much more candidly so that we can hopefully help other people learn about their dreams and learn more about themselves as a result. It's been such a pleasure to have you on DreamSpeak, and I'm so happy that you decided to honor our podcast with your wonderful insights, your wonderful dream life, and to share a really powerful, important dream. Just thank you for being so candid, and it's been wonderful, Eris. Thank you guys, too, because you're providing a space where we can share things like dreams and and these unique experiences. You're welcome. Well, thank you for being with us today on DreamSpeak. Again, thank you to Eris Klein, who is a professional artist, illustrator, and multimedia teacher that is illustrated for Hay House, Llewellyn Worldwide, Psychology Today, and many more publications. Look for her on social media. Visit her website, erisklein.com, to find out more about her current project, which is a book of illustrated dream stories. Eris Klein, thank you. Thanks so much. It was our pleasure. My pleasure, too. This was really fun. You can find this podcast on all popular streaming services. Email us a dream today at contact at dreamspeak.us. Check out our YouTube channel for a free introductory dream course. Connect with DreamSpeak for even more learning. Our socials are in the description. Our theme music was composed by me, Ricka. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. If you have concerns about your well-being, talk to your doctor or a mental health professional.